Well, hello, and welcome back to The Sweet Spot, where IT leaders share their ideas and their insights to help other IT leaders. Today, we have a great guest with us. We have Brian Householder. He is the president of Hitachi Bantara Digital Infrastructure. Hey, ha hey Bri uh, Brian, how are you? I'm great, thanks for having me. And hey guys, uh, Paul and Howard, how are you guys doing? Uh, uh, fairly well, fairly well. I'm, I'm sure anyone that's been watching our podcast, especially since we went to video, has noticed I'm in <laughs> desperate need of a haircut. And not this hair, it's just the facial hair. It's getting a little, it's getting a little rough. I have to eat everything three times, it's awful. And I've had to move to the East Wing. As you can tell, I haven't had a lot of cleaning. I, I like that. <laughs> uh, that's funny. So guys, we have been on a series helping businesses to look at how IT go in different areas. And today we want to go a little bit deeper into the business side. So we have talked about IT. Now we have Brian that he's the president of a very impressive company. And we want to go a little bit deeper into, so what advice, how, how from the business side? So Paul and Howard, I want to learn, and I know that all our audience want to learn. So Paul, what do you think about what is happening? So that conversation that is happening, do you have to have every week? Uh, so you guys will share with us as a business. What do sure. we do? Well, let me jump in. So. So we've had lots of IT conversations, specifically about how a CIO is sort of looking at a little bit differently. And in fact, we've talked to Tim, CIO of Hitachi recently, and talked about how that's changed specifically internally. Uh, we've also talked to other CIOs, plus we've been CIOs. Uh, what does it mean to focus on sort of the edge versus the data center? Um, and then what's the practical sort of cybersecurity stuff? But the business, what we find is, is the most appealing. Uh, and we find it's been sort of industry specific what the impacts have been. We think there are thrivers, you know, organizations like Zoom who are going to earn a whole bunch of additional potential revenue there. There are um, some sufferers, right? People who are, uh, who have businesses that require close contact. These are the theme parks, the movies, the stadiums. Airlines, uh, yeah, they're yeah. they're, they're going to suffer through this. And unfortunately, those industries um, have a lot of people, right? There's furloughing hundreds of thousands of people sometimes. And then there's the, the will do okay, but probably has to ch change their business model. Like um, their, their retail, it has to move from stores to e-commerce. And what does that mean? So, so we thought we'd get a, an impression from a president of a business. What, what are you seeing in terms of sort of business impacts in the pandemic? Yeah, I mean, so again, appreciate the opportunity to be here. I think, um, you know, I'll talk, I can talk a little bit about our business, but more importantly, just kind of what I'm seeing across the board. I certainly uh, talk to a lot of other uh, leaders of companies in terms of what they're seeing and, and what they're facing. You know, I think first and foremost, everyone really has to go to the culture of each of their organizations and what they really want to rely on. And, and certainly our culture, and I know many cultures are really, it's, it is all about the health and well-being of our employees first and foremost. And then also really, our, our customers, our partners, those that were impacting the marketplace. And so, you know, I think it really does shift it. And, and I was just on a um, kind of a, an all employee coffee session. So we had probably 15, 16 people from all over the globe, just all calling in and, and talking about experiences and, you know, obviously checking in, but, but also fielding questions or what have you. And, and it's amazing to hear just how 
um, this is a shared experience that we're all having. And so you talk about kind of like everyone has their different experiences. Where were you when this happened or regional or country specific or what have you? You know, obviously this one is really one that I think can forge us together just in terms of having a shared experience. And then really, I think what do we all need to do and how do we all get through this situation together? So I know we talk a lot about the employees being first, but I think it's really a question around are we, are we acting in that way in terms of really helping sure that they're, they're safe and that we're doing what we need to go do. And then I think I really appreciate it. And I, I know we're doing this. I know a lot of companies are doing this too. Uh, you know, one thing we just did that we uh, well, just figured this out. We have excess masks that we have just in terms of our inventory. So we went through and did all of that. We've donated 55,000 masks to folks in the front lines, uh, whether it's in Europe or the West Coast. I know a lot of companies are stepping up. You know, we're offering up our manufacturing capacity for building ventilators. You know, there's a lot of our solutions being used. We're giving a lot of free training. So I think just really at the end of the day, first and foremost, how do we all help ourselves get through this? And then, Paul, you kind of mentioned it. You know, the, there's a lot of these sufferers. And then really the ones that are really getting affected the most are those that are really more hourly employees and other ones. And so how do we all help there? Uh, and so I think there's just a lot of work that we can go do, whether it be at the company level or at the employee level, those that are able to, to be in a more fortunate situation that we can help all of us get through the situation. Because, I mean, who could have predicted that we'd all be here and only having to do things remotely or we have, frankly, a billion or two billion people that are completely locked down or in shelter in place situations. I mean, we just couldn't predict that. Somebody had told me they took the JAL flight uh, from Tokyo to San Francisco this past weekend. And so I was just curious to see what their experiences were like in terms of like how many passengers and this. And I was thinking maybe the plane was 20, 30% full. There were three passengers wow. on the flight. Three. Holy. There were five people waiting on three passengers. I'm like, <laughs> Wow. And so it just, it just highlights, I mean, the unprecedented times, unprecedented times that we're in. And then I think it really is going to, I mean, you're, you talk about sufferers. I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, uh, a lot of small businesses, as we all know, and I know that the governments have come through in the U.S. and other places to really help a lot of small businesses get through it. But those that have, you know, either situations where they're highly levered or just don't have enough cash flow or what have you, it's, it are being affected. And so we all have to just do our part and help get ourselves through it. And then I think there is another big question, which is, a, I think, a good question to have if you want to talk about it now or, or at least to discuss at some point in the future, is how will this change how we all work and behave, how we consume, mm -hmm. how we do business? Because I do believe that this will present and will, will, you know, Zoom, I think, had 10 or 20 million users at the end of December, and now they have two or 300 million. You know, it's like kind of how do we want to have a paradigm shift in terms of doing work and how we will uh, conduct work going forward. And I think that's a legitimate thing that we could all figure out how to take advantage of. I, I, I mean, the coffee session I just had an hour ago was the team saying I'm more productive. You know, I'm not commuting two and a half hours a day mm -hmm. so I can actually get more things done. And so it's just a, an interesting paradigm shift and, and we'll see exactly how much we embrace as we uh, as we get through this. Do you think that in real time right now it's changed the agility? Like you had a set of projects in an organization, either our organization or other organizations are familiar with that, we're able to turn on a dime to say, you know what, I want to focus less about the store and more about e-commerce. I want to focus less about the edge and more about the center. Is that, have you seen those switching on a dime? I have, I have. you know, now again, it's, it's in pockets, but in terms of like the team's, the creativity of the team, I think, is pretty amazing. And so I was reminded of this by um, just someone who I have a lot of respect with over the years. And I was talking to her maybe three weeks ago. 
she's like, Brian, remember constraints and limitations foster creativity and innovation. And it was a good reminder for me around just seeing the power of the collective creativity and the collective innovation of our teams to just come forward. So, you know, we have our, you know, our fiscal year starts in April. So we have our, our global kickoff was expected to be in the next two weeks. Well, of course, we're not doing a global kickoff. We plan on doing a virtual kickoff even before all the COVID stuff. So we went to a virtual kickoff that we we're going to film in the Bay Area. Well, of course, that can't, got canceled. And now we're like, oh, we'll do a live event. And then you start looking at the risks of trying to do a live event from all over the globe and things may or may not work. And, and now we have people basically doing a virtual kickoff where we're filming and they're stitching it all together to do next week. The same thing on a, on a major launch. We're doing a major launch next week where we have people have filmed at their homes. You know, we sent them green screens and all of that filmed at their homes for doing a massive product launch that we're going to be doing here next week. And that's all stuff that really happened on a dime to your point, Paul. It's like this happened within a matter of a couple of weeks where completely changed the direction of where we want to go. And I think that's really, you know, I think the culture that we need to create, and I think a lot of, uh, at least my peers that are running businesses are doing, how do you tap into the creative, um, just the empowerment and the creativity of the employees to just get stuff done and have them make decisions and then we'll figure out is that something that's sustainable or is that something that's just a short-term issue because of the of the situation that we're working our way through. So you touched on two things there that I'm, I, I kind of want to double click and we can double click on whichever one you prefer first. So so the first is um, most organizations aren't agile, right? Even if they're agile in pockets, they're not agile as an entire organization. I, I would say um, the organization that, that we've all worked for and I'll work for is, is similar, right? We're not, we're not unique. This pandemic has forced everyone to be more agile than they were a month ago, right? Maybe Amazon isn't, isn't, is the same level of agility, but outside of that, right? Um, what do you see as, as kind of the pluses to that? Like how, have, how, how has that been a positive, not just in getting things done, but, but a little more specific? And then how do you plan on, like what's advice you would give to other um, CEOs on how to maintain that agility going forward. Got it. Yeah. So, um, you know, the, the, I guess the pluses of the agility, I think this does get into the culture around how do you want to empower your teams? And it's a tough one, obviously, you know, every, every company is now under pressure when it comes to cost, even unless you're a massive thriver, uh, that is just growing like gangbusters because you make toilet paper or whatever you happen to be doing, you know, there's cost pressures that we all have to go through, whether you're a CIO, you need to manage costs or, the overall business leaders, you have to manage costs. So the balancing act, I think, Howard, is interesting around, um, there's a natural, uh, a natural tendency in these types of situations to try to more centrally control the decision-making. Like, oh, we need to, you know, freeze all hiring and do this, and then let's try to like, you know, and, and there's, so it's a, that's a natural kind of um, initial, I guess, perspective. But then you have to balance that with how you continue to let the teams be very agile. What I'm really looking to try to go do, and, and this is one thing that we're trying to roll out, uh, we plan on doing it anyways, it, it fits now really well, is uh, kind of an innovation um, challenge for the whole organization. So how do we create this innovation throughout the organization and really trying to get people to start thinking about innovation differently. So this creativity and innovation is not just happening within the product teams or not just happening with you know the, the R&D teams or what have you. This is around we can innovate throughout our entire business. And so what I'd like to try to do is start figuring out some of the great ideas that have happened within our teams. And, you know, I think you guys have seen this, but uh, you know, our, our marketing teams just out of the blue 
decided we're going to create work from home care packages to send to our customers. And so we're going to go out there and, you know, send them coffee and tea and some mug and just kind of like to help them understand we're all in the same boat together. And so the teams just went off and did that. And so how do we kind of, um, I think to your point around the agility, the agility you can empower. And then what I'm looking to go do is as we get through this, how do you look to have that become much more sustainable? I think it'd be very easy. Like if we are in a short turnaround where we do start opening up here in the next you know, 90 days or so, I think there'll be a natural kind of institutional kind of swing back to the way that it was. Like we got to get on airplanes every day to go do certain things. We got to get on airplanes to, to do a bunch of internal meetings. Um, I think it's really up to each of the leaders to really start saying, why are we spending our money on this? I mean, if I look at our just and just in terms of our PL and how much money we're spending on facilities, do we really need to be spending as much? I mean, we're spending millions and millions and millions of dollars on on leases and buildings all throughout the globe. Do we really need all that? And and does it is that really the most efficient way we should be spending our money? Should we look at you know redeploying it elsewhere? So it's um I think it's really up to each of the individual leaders and then how do you kind of create a culture that people embrace it and make sure it's sustainable. Let's double click on that exact point because we've had lots of interesting conversations about what post pandemic looks like and it post pandemic might be two years from now, but let's say now that we've uh, expanded the curve a bit. Do we have the same level of employment. Do we go from furlough to not furlough. Do we do we maintain 50% of what we had. Uh, do we maintain work at home as the normal practice versus the office as the normal practice. What do we do for creativity versus collaboration? It's easy to collaborate this way, but very difficult to create when you're starting from scratch, as an example. Right. Um, what do we do for for pro professional recording? Like we've like like uh, Vcom is a great example. Howard and I spent a good professional recording. No, I'm, I'm totally kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know Howard and I. my weird outfits and all. Yeah. <laughs> we. We, uh, we re-recorded re several times some of the content. So we know that, you know, dogs barking in the background, you know, have, have an effect. My, a quick side note on that. I'm sorry, but like I was recording for our virtual kickoff next week. And I'm like, and, you know, of course, there are, there are shortened time frames. Like you have eight minutes or five minutes and you got, and I, you know, how you get in your moment, you get on a roll. And I'm, I'm like, I, you know, I feel like I'm doing a really good job. And then, of course, my son's violin starts up in the background and this, and I'm like, just got to roll with it, start it over, you know, it's just, so anyway, sorry, back on the, back on your question, but this reminded me of that. I just so, did this so this morning, actually. I was in the yeah, midst of recording. I'm on a roll. It sounds good. I have no idea how I got there and the dog starts barking and I just went, nope, I'm just going with it. Yeah, just I think it's fine. And I, I, I was thinking the same again. thing, Howard. I should have, I should have just kept going because everyone's going to, you know, understand. It was just, um, it was, it was funny. So does January, 2021 look more like now? or more like January, 2020? Like that's, that's you know, the big I mean, <clears throat> um, I think it's really gonna be up to each of the individual leaders. I think what I do appreciate here, like it, let's just put, just think of it, um, uh, not even culturally, even organization, just think about it in terms of our own individual kind of um, comfort level. Mm. You know, the calling in and doing a video conference in on a meeting sort of, you know, has different connotations depending on the culture of the company. Now it's more of like, this is everyone doing it. And so I think in January, 2021, I'm hoping and expecting that this can be a little bit more of the norm, but absolutely be culturally accepted. I could care less. And, and again, 
maybe I'm a little bit of a different leader than others. I mean, some are much more comfortable, like I have to see you like mm-hmm. day in and day out. That's, that's not necessarily my style. I, I am much more comfortable and embrace the remote kind of a work environment because at the end of the day, we're looking for great talent and I could care less where that talent is as long as they are aligned with the strategy, doing the right things, they're in the right roles, great, let them run. And so I will hope and expect and certainly try to influence as much as I can within our organization. January, 2021 will be a little bit more like this in terms of the norm. Now, hopefully we'll be traveling again, but I would like to have it. And I've you know, brought this topic up to our executive team too around, should we have a standing you know, kind of order, if you will, that we will not allow any internal travel? Like we just have basically the whole thing around, or if we do, we do it only you know, twice per year Teams can have internal travel for a particular event or for team meetings. Everything else needs to be done the way that we're doing it here because we're very successful at it. And we also spend a you know ton of money when it comes to, let's just put it this way, just within our organization alone, within facilities costs and travel, we're spending over $100 million a year. Hmm. You know, I mean, it's a, it's a big number. Now, again, it's all relative to the size of the organizations, but that's, I mean, that's, that's $100 million that we could be investing more in R&D investing more in our people, investing more in terms of services and solutions uh, and, and helping us in terms of balancing our PL. all of those things have you start thinking about, okay, are we really spending our money in the right areas? So I'm hopeful and we'll be pushing, we'll be influencing the teams to have it be more of just a culturally accepted norm that this is what we're doing. And to be frank here, I mean, like, you know, we're doing a podcast under very quick timeframes. It's just talking with you, Paul and Howard, and let's get it on the calendar and let's happen have it happen here. I'm meeting now with CIOs more quickly than I ever have before, as opposed to let's talk to them and let's get it scheduled and it's a few weeks out. And <laughs> I'm, you know, talking to a customer in the Netherlands here yesterday. And then next, you know, next Monday, I'm talking to one in Philly. And, the, and in the past, it would be, you know, going to New York City, you got to go to New York City to go meet with a customer. Now you can go out and, and just video conference in. So I'm hopeful that more and more companies will embrace it. I would think that it's probably going to be a little bit more of 50-50 in terms of just, it's going to come down to the cultures that each of the organizations embrace. Um, I'm just thinking that January 2021, I think there's going to be a lot more people that are comfortable doing video conferencing in. And I think a lot of more people are going to be comfortable in terms of we're all in this same situation. So the dog barking or the whatever, or the kids in the background, people just understand it. And I think the other one was, um, it was mentioned on one of the coffee sessions I did with our employees. They like, they sort of like the, um, the more, I don't know what the right word is, but the, the more just the human interactions, the kind of more friendly interactions that we're having, like the recognition that, you know, I mean, I was talking to one of our best sales reps. He's got three kids under the age of five and one of them is a special needs and his wife also works and they're all in a very small area together. It's like, he's just got to figure out how to make it work. And he's still one of our best reps. He just has to work in different times and hours to get his work done that's totally fine. So just getting people more comfortable that we're, we're all in these unique situations and we should be able to embrace them. It's like oh. we've knocked a little bit of the granite off, right? I agree. Yeah. Almost like kind of like, yeah, the, the, the facade or the whatever, like we're all, it, I mean, we're all in different situations. We all have, you know, some kids that are older, others, grandkids, this doesn't matter. Um, we're all in this together. So I think that the, the more human element of this, I think it's a very good thing. I think it really starts bringing out the best of this. And that's why I really like the shared experiences, the global shared experiences that we have here. You know, obviously if you're from the U S like nine 11 was a very uh, big forged moment for people. 
but it's not, it's a, it's more of a nationalistic shared, you know, experience. This one is one that really we all can relate to and all have shared experiences. We've all had losses. We've all had people on the front lines. We all, and so I think from that standpoint, I'm, I'm hopeful that we can have that hu human and humanity aspect be a little bit different. And we can use that in terms of really, frankly, working and, and, and becoming better together. I've, I've heard it be said that travel will be more about seeing things versus seeing people. In other words, if you have to go see the bridge or you have to go see the automation or you have to go see the manufacturing plant, you're going to travel. But if you're going to see people, this is how we see people. Interesting. And it'll be interesting to see, Paul, on that. Will, will that be just internal or will it more be even to go visit with customers and partners? And I don't know. It'll be interesting to see. Maybe that will be. Um, we'll have to see kind of how that all shapes up. Yeah, I'd love to get to the point where if you're not, if a whiteboard marker isn't required, you don't get on a plane. Right. Right. Because that level of collaboration really requires you being in the room. It's really hard to maintain that over a digital platform. Yeah. You need full engagement. You need everybody in the same shared space. Like, yep. like the, the quality output is so much higher. But if a whiteboard isn't required and you're just delivering information and maybe having a conversation on shared information, this seems to be a really solid way to go about it. I, um, I totally agree. So I, I'd love to see that. One of the things that I found interesting was Gartner relatively quickly put together a survey and went out and surveyed CFOs. And 74% of CFOs said at a minimum of 5%, they did not want to return. They, sorry, 74% of them said they did not want to return to everybody coming into the office and down to a minimum of 5%. So at least 5% of their workforce would never return to an office is what they wanted to see. Wow. So some, some quick math. Um, the average employee requires between 180 and 250 square feet of uh, real estate. That's how you do the math when you're building an office, right? It takes into consideration lobby space and kitchen space, meeting rooms. Um, it's on an average of $2 US per square foot per month is about what, what real estate costs on a national average. So it works out to $4,800 if we kind of average those things. About $4,800 per employee per year. 102 million US workers. A 5% reduction in real estate is a $24.5 billion savings annually. Right. Yeah. So our example is just a small microcosm of, of, of that Howard across the board. I mean, that's a, it's a huge number. And I think it will shift in terms of, you know, economics overall, and then what's important. There'll be a, obviously maybe a little bit more pressure on making sure we have, you know, good technology and bandwidth to all locations. Like in India right now, obviously it's a huge issue. I was talking to some of my friends who are, you know, leading very large companies that have, you know, tens of thousands of people in India and, and, had they never tested their, their business continuity where they sent everybody in call center yeah, yeah. all home and yeah. hope to God this thing works. I mean, there was apparently some companies that still, luckily they, they moved all the way. I mean, they, he goes, we got lucky because we moved all the way to voice over IP just, you know, 12 months ago, just be, just to save money. Never would have predicted that you need it because that's the only way you can take calls. You know, right. some that have more of the kind of centralized switchboards that they do for call centers are, are in a world of hurt. They're like trying to, how do I even dispatch people and get the calls to the right people? And, and so it just, it will be an interesting one in terms of um, how much even real estate or some of these sectors will have to adapt malls. You know, I mean, all of these other areas that we knew were sort of already being impacted. I think it's going to accelerate all that. 
So one of the other things that we that, that I kind of wanted to get into, and it's, it's the part two. Remember I said there were two questions and we answered the first one. The second one, you kind of talked about leaders. You've talked about leaders a lot and how you're looking to your leaders to make decisions and, and combine that with all hands on deck. And you have two things. It's kind of a part A and part B. You have two things that, are, that show up during only during a crisis like this. The first is um, leaders that you didn't know were leaders. Right? When all hands are on deck, people are still going to follow leaders, but they're probably going to follow leaders that, you, that don't have a leadership title, don't have a leadership position. And so the first question is, what is your recommendation for how to identify those people? Because obviously we want to identify people who are natural leaders and, and, and mentor them and promote them, right? So how do we, like, what's your advice on how to identify those people and then what to do to, to kind of help, help along with that career that's best for the company, best for the employee. And then the second one is the exact opposite, right? During a pandemic, leaders must lead. And entirely too often, leaders manage, they boss. Yeah. Um, and, and while those are both parts of the same, you know, they're, they're parts of the title, you still have to manage. Um, you can't only do one and not the other. And so what do you do when you find that some, some people that you've put in VP director management positions don't actually have leadership capability. They just resort to bossing. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. So great questions. And certainly I spent a lot of my time thinking about that. And, and obviously I think the role of any of, of the leaders in terms of kind of running companies or managing teams or what have you, it's, it's all about getting the right people in the right roles. And, and clearly I think we can all show our, our, uh, our, our experiences over the times that you, you know, sometimes get it right and sometimes you get it wrong. You know, I, I think there is a lot around this whole thing around the difference between the positional authority relative to the actual leaders. Mm -hmm. And I do spend a lot of time and I, I do believe this very much. I mean, uh, leaders are everywhere in the organization. I don't care if you're an individual contributor, you're a janitor, you're leading small teams, big teams, manager of managers, it doesn't really matter. Everyone can be a leader if they choose to be a leader. And the, I guess, you know, I guess the first part of your question around how do you recognize them or how do you identify them? You know, for me, it's really more a matter of, um, this is something that I've really firmly believed for my entire career. And it's one that I, it's, it's a hard one to really exactly quantify, but I think if you, at least the framework that I think about it, it's pretty easy to tell. I'm much less worried or, or even interested in the size and scope of someone's team. You know, like some people are very, you know, some leaders are all like, okay, well, how big's my team? How big's my budget? How's, you know, kind of the, like, I need to, I can't do anything unless I, you know, have whatever the case may be. I frankly am less interested in that. And sometimes that's a little bit of a turnoff because it may lead to your second point around kind of they're more interested in, in kind of managing or owning or what have you versus actually leading. Mine's all around sphere of influence. And so I believe this. And when I first joined Hitachi, just as an example, I think I managed three or four people. Could have cared less, right? I mean, I could have easily tried to, like, I need to have a bigger team or that. And I was all interested and I kept telling this to my team, uh, you know, even the four people that worked for me at the time or even the folks that, I could care less if I manage nobody or I have a large team. It's all around the sphere of influence, the impact that you can go have and the impact that you can have in terms of those that you're actually in, you know, influencing throughout the organization, whether they be peers, uh, more senior, more junior, or whatever the case may be. And so, so that impact for me is way more important than where the positional authority happens to be. And so I think, you know, I think during these crises, you see that even more. Those that are really influencing, those that are really figuring out how to take extremely uncertain times and band people together, get people really focused on the right things, helping people get through that. I mean, 
the stories that we hear, and I know you hear them as well, just in terms of how everybody's really stepping up, really does start highlighting those leaders. And so I think the, the first part of your question, it's a really, it's not, you know, you can't really just put it on a spreadsheet and track it. But I, I find it's relatively easy to tell if you come through with a, a mindset around a, a sphere of influence, like what's the sphere of influence of an individual? In my mind, it's very clear. It's almost like a halo. You can almost sort of see the impact that the teams have or that person has on the teams around them or, or they're helping to really make massive impact the business to make good decisions or what have you. That I think is, in my mind, is relatively easy to see if you have enough data points here. When it comes to those that are in a, you know, a, a more senior position, a director of VP or what have you, that's there, that's just more of a VP, those things I think will, they will, I think, ultimately get figured out. And I, I think not just necessarily through this time, this will come down to those ones that are not leading in those positions, I would argue, are not adding enough value to the organization. And that will come back to really impact them because they're not going to be in the right role or they're we're going to figure out that they should be more of an individual contributor or or whatever the case may be and so whether that takes time or not I think it really depends on the organization or who they work for or the leadership but I think it during this time you're going to have people really start asking more and more of those hard questions so if, if, if there's a leader out there that's really not doing their job or they're in the wrong role or they're really focused on the wrong things I, I think um it was said best when someone talked about a recession. I think it was the former CEO of 3M way back when, but you know, he talked about recessions and he's like, um, uh, he preferred recessions because they make problems stand out like rocks at low tide. And I think during this time, you start talking about poor leadership will stand, stand out a lot greater than if everything is going well and gangbusters and everything else. So, you know, those things will take time to overcome, but that's at least the way I look at it. Yeah, there's two quotes that I really like. Um, one was said by Simon Sinek, and it is, a leader has the people, a boss has the title. I really like that one. And the other one, I don't know who said it, but it's people don't leave jobs, they leave bad leaders. That is true. I, I, I actually agree. I agree with both of those. I totally agree with that. Yeah. Do you, and, think, do you think measuring uh, leaders and or your team is going to be different going forward? Like it's easy to see a roll up, right? Especially when it comes to sales, let's say, right? There's a quota, achieve the quota. But outside of those obvious measures, how are you gonna ensure that, that sort of the other parts of the organization are still driving change, driving the types of KPIs you're looking for? Or a KPI is gonna change based on the situation we're in now? Yeah, I mean, I, I think the, um, the it's interesting. I, th I think uh, the measurements will change for sure. I think how we're going to look at and measuring leaders will change. I look at this situation, you know, if you look at it just from the more of the a business and, and leadership perspective, um, you, I almost look at it as like a, a, a completely new and emerging market or a completely new and, and, and shifting market. So if you look at kind of more of the builders versus operators kind of mindset, if you will, we're looking, I think the, the, there's gonna be much more of an emphasis on, emphasis on builders, right? The creators, the builders, taking something and looking at it very differently is really gonna be needed now more than ever before. Doesn't matter if you're in a super established business like airlines, or if you're in a completely new, the creators and builders, I think are more gonna be more valued than just the day-to-day -day operators because we're going to go through this kind of, I, I believe, this seismic shift in terms of how work gets done. And you need people to help lead through that. Now, maybe once you get past that and it's more 
here's the typical way that we're going to work, then maybe you want to emphasize more on just the operators around how do you then get as efficient as you need to go drive that business and that process and, and whatever you happen to be. So, so I think the KPIs will be different. I'm going to be looking at it. The, the way I'm going to be able to tell it is just more a matter of who's the one drive or who, which, which leaders are the ones really pushing and driving the new change. And I think these can be step-like functions around, you know, I mean, Howard, your example around buildings and the capacity that could be saved from this or whatever, and that's just 5%. You know, I'd be looking at, okay, great. Why don't we reduce our, our real estate by 30 or 40 or 50%? Do we need all of this? And can we look at it doing differently? And can we do more shared spaces if we need to get together with customers or whatever the case may be? So I think um, that's what's going to, I think, be shifting. And it's going to be really interesting to see how it all develops. All right. So the last question, because we're running out of time, this has been fantastic. But um, so one of the things that, that's really good about being in person is culture right? You build that kind of family feeling um, regardless, right? It becomes your second family. We all joke about it, right? Your work wife, your work family, your work this, that, and the other thing. <laughs> Being remote, that kind of starts to break down a little bit, right? The lines certainly blur. So what is your advice to other CEOs about how to maintain and even strengthen your culture during a fully remote world? Yeah, and it's, that's a hard one. That's a huge balancing act. The way I would look at it really would be twofold. If you have a completely new team, it becomes infinitely harder when you're remote. And so like, let's just say, you know, you have a new CEO and half of their leadership team is new. That takes a ton of effort. And so I think that one is going to be one where how does that leader need to continue to shape that culture is very, very different than if you have a leadership team that you at least know the vast majority of the players and have a rapport and have created shared experiences together already. And so so if you're in the, if you're luckily in the camp where you have a team that you at least have a level of trust and know each other, you have a level of kind of baseline around what is expected from a cultural standpoint, the, the, the way we're working today, I think can be accentuated and can be, can continue to be fostered because there's already sort of a shared set of norms that know how that works. It becomes a lot harder. I mean, I've heard the situation where, you know, cool, you know, a brand new leader, very senior role into a new company can't even meet uh, their team, you know? And so, and that is a challenge. And I think it's just going to be really more a matter of, um, you know, a lot of one-on-ones, you know, it's interesting. Like I find the different platforms are, some are better for, you know, four or five people like a zoom can be very good when you have the gallery view, you know, there's other ones like teams that may be better when you can do just a, a one-on-one because you kind of feel a little bit more like you're, you're sort of together. And so, it'll take a lot more in the leader, I think, to foster that culture. And I think to your point also, like, how do you get more of a litmus test on it? Is the culture moving away from where you want it? Uh, it's going to be a little bit harder in this environment. And so it's going to be on a case by case basis. It's, I, I find it probably the, it's the, the biggest challenge that we have. It's obviously a longer term challenge, but it's the biggest challenge I think we have because that's going to continue to set the direction for the organization and where you want to go. So the, uh, I wrote a blog and actually touched on the one-on-ones and my advice on one-on-ones, regardless of whether we're in a pandemic, regardless of whether you're in person or not, one-on-ones are not the manager's time, right? Yep. A, a manager should get three minutes for every 30 minutes in a one-on-one. <laughs> and I'm kind of firm on that. Maybe five minutes, always at the end. Yep. Right. A one-on-one should be about your employee coming to you and talking about themselves. 
What have they been up to? What are their concerns? What are their challenges? What are their difficulties? What are their roadblocks? Yeah. And at the very end, you get a few minutes to go, all of that is fantastic. I'm going to work on X, Y, and Z. And, and I would really like it if you work on this. If you yeah. start it the other way around, it's not a one-on-one. It's just you telling an employee what you want them to do. And before long, they're going to start dropping out of the one-on-ones. They're going to find it to be less valuable, right? And so to leave on one final note, and then I'll pass it to Paul, I would say that's my one final note. Set up one-on-ones. Use whatever technology you need. But please, please remember, everyone who's listening, you, you as the leader get no more than five minutes. It's always at the end, and it can never be more than one-fifth of the total time. I think it's great. I'm Howard. So thank you. Paul, do you have any final notes? Yeah, one thing, and it's all about this culture. Uh, and I love how you started it about it's the people. It's the people who work for you. It's the people who are driving the results. And one of the potential pitfalls culturally for this federated workforce is an assumption that all time is company time. Right? It's easy when you go into the office. Office time is office time. But now that we're all here, I might be working... 18 hours a day, or you're expect me to work on a holiday or a statutory or the weekends, because it's all melds into one. So part of the leadership requirements are now to say, your time is still your time. In fact, work isn't the most important. Family health is the most important. From that, you work. And that's going to be one of those changes we're going to have to really push as leaders to ensure that, that just because you're home doesn't mean you're working. I, I totally agree with that. And that's a huge balancing act. And certainly with all the different time zones and how, you know, geographically dispersed we all are. So that's, that's a, a big challenge. And I think really um, one that we're going to all have to figure out how we do it together. Cause that, that blocking out that time, whether I, I heard this a lot from our employees, how they're loving doing dinners with their entire family every night. I'm like, love it, block it out. Like, you know, you take that 90 minute, whatever it is, make that time. Even if you have to get on to talk to Asia at a certain hour, find that time in that window, but it is going to put more onus on the individual and also for the leadership to make sure that that happens. Right. Absolutely. I think it's part of the one-on-ones. Sorry. I know I said final thought. But I always had a rule that was <laughs> no going back. 45 hours a week and that's it. Everybody's salaried, but you have 45 hours. At the 46th hour, I need to know about it. I want to know why are you putting in so much time? Because that's a problem for the company, right? I've, I've placed that burden. And I yeah. think working remote, it's even more important. You don't, you don't get 100% of their time. You don't get 100 hours a week. You get 40. Yeah. Right? At 46, you probably should start questioning, why are these people working so much? And what am I doing wrong as a leader? Exactly. Cool. Carlos, back to you. If we can get one final thought from you, Brian, for leaders or individual contributors or anyone that will listen to this, what are you focusing and what will be your recommendation for them? Yeah, I'll share a quick story with you. And um, uh, at least it's helped me kind of think about even this situation, because obviously it's a very uncertain time. Uh, nobody knows exactly what will happen. Obviously, all of the, you know, uh, all the forecasts change by the hour of the day. So my, when my kids were young, they, we, we figured we needed to go teach them to learn how to, to ski or to snowboard. And so we took them to Colorado. They decided they wanted to learn how to snowboard. Now, I'm a terrible skier, absolutely terrible. And so I'm like, <laughs> okay, well, if they're going to learn how to snowboard, I might as well learn how to do it too. So I can at least try to be there with them. And I'm, you know, in my forties. And, and so I'm like, before I went out there, of course, I'm a little nervous around like killing myself or breaking bones or whatever else. I call up a friend of mine. He's a great skier and snowboarder. And I'm like, do you have any advice for me in terms of like, before I go do this and I'll, I'm going to take all the lessons and everything like that. He's like, well, 
I have one piece of advice that frankly is the best advice that I ever got around how to learn how to snowboard or ski. And frankly, he goes, and I've, I've figured out that I think that's actually applicable to pretty much everything. And he's like, focus on where you want to go, not where you want to fall. And I'm like, and every time I fall in snowboarding, every time I'm like, crap, that's exactly where I was looking. But I think it applies to pretty much everything that we do. And I think from a standpoint of leadership, things that I would encourage all of our leaders to do, regardless if you're managing a large team or an individual contributor, focus on where you want to go. Have that be the vast majority of it. If things change, great, adjust. But this whole thing around, it's in, in, in such uncertain times, it's very easy. Human nature tends to revert. And so I think if you start getting into that, where you start revert, you know, reversion into to such negative scenarios, the collective power that we have, whether it be a company or a society or what we have across the globe, if we focus on where we want to go, we will definitely get through this. And I believe that the, the companies and the cultures that do that the best they're going to be the ones that can survive and thrive better than anybody else. This has been an awesome conversation with you, Brian. Thank you for being with us. And for all of you that are watching this video or listening, like we say always, first thing, share this video or this recording so someone else will learn. Make sure that you subscribe and send us your questions because we get those questions We look for leaders that can help us understand your question so we can also grow, so we can continue being the leaders that we need to be. So until our next podcast, we'll see you soon.